so this morning I had originally planned to share a um, nice little Palm Sunday message with you. We'll look at look at the uh, um, that scene where Jesus enters the city, um, the triumphal entry, and um, and then just sort of challenge you with some things. But um, I really felt it was important that I share something else this morning uh, that's sort of at the forefront of, if not everyone's, most people's minds. Um, and just to sort of set this up, I want to ask some questions to sort of survey you guys. Uh, how many of you would say that you're enjoying the drama, the chaos, and the tension associated with this presidential election? Anybody? Okay. <laughs> <One>. Nice. <laughs> How many of you? <laughs> how many of you can't wait for it to be over? <laughs> how many of you hate it when the subject of politics comes up? Okay. How many of you bring it up like me? Okay. <laughs> um, how many of you have uh, watched all the debates? How many have watched some of them? I, I see that trying to raise his hand, aren't you? Yeah. There's been a ton of them. It's almost hard to watch all of them, right? Um, how many of you have already decided which candidate you're going to vote for if they're the nominee? Okay. A few of you. Um, how many of you think uh, that when you cast your vote in, in November, you're going to have to choose the lesser of two evils? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> how many of you have uh, already started scouting for another country to move to in January? <laughs> All right, two more questions. Um, how many of you think the church should be involved in politics? Okay. How many of you think we shouldn't even be talking about this? And yet you're here, right? <laughs> That's awesome. All right, so uh, as I said, I originally planned to talk about uh, Palm Sunday, the sort of leading up, the, the events leading up to Easter, the original first Easter. Um, but I've noticed this year, um, this election year, and I, I know that I haven't been around as long as some of you, but I've been around longer than most of you. And this election year has been the most volatile, polarizing, and, and divisive election year I think I've ever seen. It's been amazing. Um, and so I thought it was really important for us to sort of... Um, just spend some time getting everyone on the same page uh, before any potential division took place. Uh, and when I say getting everyone on the same page, I don't mean trying to get everyone to align with a certain party or with a certain candidate, right? Jesus never did that, and I'm not ever going to do that, okay? No, today I want to issue a corporate challenge to put your faith before politics, faith before politics, that between now and November 8th, I want to challenge you to put your faith filter up front and your politics filter somewhere down the line. Uh, in other words, to be a Christ follower first and Republican second, or a Christ follower first and a Democrat second, or a Christ follower first and a Libertarian second. Um, that regardless of where you stand politically, would you be willing to place your political views below your Christian values? Because let's face it, I mean, none of us are going to go to Washington, D.C. when we die, right? 
thank God, right? And I know some of you are thinking, yeah. <laughs> and I know some of you are thinking, well, I don't know if I can do that. That's kind of a pretty big ask. You know, it might be too hard for me. But I know that you can do this because there is something that will happen in your life that will make your political views completely irrelevant. Right? There, there are some things that can happen in your life to where you don't care the slightest bit about politics. I mean, as a pastor, I've walked with people through some very difficult things, and I have never sat at someone's bedside and had someone ask me, Jim, could you please read to me from the Constitution? That's never happened, right? So as important as this is, and as passionate as you can get over this, there are much more important things in life. And faith is one of them. So I'm challenging, challenging you between now and November 8th to put your faith ahead of your politics. Now, what I'm not saying is, I'm, I'm not saying that you can't have an opinion, right? You can and you should have an opinion. I'm also not saying that, you, that we all should or will agree. That would be completely foolish of me to assume that we could all agree. And I am not suggesting that, that all Christians should vote for a particular candidate or align with a, a certain party, right? All I'm doing is challenging you to put your faith ahead of your politics. Now, there's a lot of you here who would think, okay, yeah, I've already mastered that, right? In fact, you don't see anything, you don't see any conflict between your faith your politics, and you would argue, Jim, the reason I'm a Republican is, is because I'm a Christian, right? Or the reason I'm a, I'm a Democrat is because of my faith. You know, that you would say, my faith is the reason I align with a certain political party. Your faith is the reason you hold a particular political view. Like if you're a Republican, you might say, you know, of course, you know, my, my faith is first. God is always right. And Jesus is always right. And therefore, I align with right rather than left, right? <laughs> oh, and then don't forget what Jesus said in, you know, in, in Luke 5.32 where he says, he says, I have not come to call the righteous because we're all fine, right? I've come to call the sinners to repentance, all those sinners, because we're all right. Um, so there you go. There are people on the right, and then there are all the sinners who he's tried to call to repentance. And as a Republican... I'm on the right, and Jesus is calling the sinners to repentance. But if you're a Democrat, you're like, are you kidding me? Jesus was a healthcare dispensing machine, right? I mean, everywhere Jesus went, people got, he gave away free healthcare. So clearly, Jesus is a Democrat. And the libertarians are like, no, 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 no. Jesus is clearly a libertarian, because he said in, in Luke 4.18, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. The point is this. When it comes to putting your faith before your politics, it is not enough to say, Bible first, politics second, right? Because no matter where you stand politically, 
you can find something in the Bible to support your stand. Right? No matter where you stand, you can find something to support your, your, the, what you, you know, why you stand there. And it's not even enough to say Jesus first, politics second. Because no matter where you stand politically, you can find something Jesus said to support your stand. And the interesting thing is that regardless of what political party we align with, we all want Jesus on our side, right? We all want to sort of reel Jesus in to be a part, you know, to, to be a part of our party. But if you read the Gospels, you discover that Jesus never supported a political view. Jesus never supported a political view. Do you realize that? And it's not because there wasn't politics in the first century. There was a ton of politics going on between the Roman leaders and then the Jewish leaders. There was all kinds of politics going on. And then there were all kinds of political parties and factions within the Jewish leadership. Um, But Jesus never supported any one particular political view. And despite what some of you might think, Jesus wouldn't support the political party you're a part of now. And the reason we know that is because of what he said in John 18. When Jesus was standing before Pilate, and Pilate asked him, your people have delivered you over to me to be tried. Why? Jesus responded by saying, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus came to establish his kingdom, not to support any one earthly kingdom. That's why over and over and over again throughout the Gospels, you hear Jesus saying, the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he would tell a story. Um, and, And we have to realize that as Jesus followers, our job is to support his kingdom, right? It is not to support, it's not trying to real, not trying to get, not trying to reel Jesus in to support our earthly kingdom. Our job as Jesus followers is to, is to support his kingdom, which we are citizens of, right? Amen? Okay. So to handle this political season well, and I know that we can do it, to handle this political season well will require more than just reading what the Bible says. It'll require more than just reading what Jesus says. It's going to require that we approach this issue the same way Jesus approached everything. In other words, to handle politics well, we must do what Jesus did and instructed us to do. Jesus did one thing specifically and one thing consistently that serves as the model for all of us. And it's not complicated. All of us can do it. It's, and it's so simple and so transformational. The way you put your faith, the way you put faith before politics is to put people first and politics second. That's the model Jesus gave us. And it's one of the first lessons you learned as a Christian, right? John 3.16, for God so loved what? The world. 
but he's not talking about the kingdoms of the world, right? He's talking about the people. He's talking about the people of the world. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And then a, a parallel verse in more ways than one, 1 John 3.16 says, We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. Jesus always put what was best for people first. And that's our common ground. It's our common ground as citizens of the United States, and it's our common ground as followers of Jesus Christ to put what was best for people first. So when it comes to navigating this this political landscape in this election season, we might disagree what's best for people, but we cannot disagree that what's best for people is what's best. Isn't that true? Right? Like, we might disagree on what's best for people within some of the issues, like immigration, or, you know, defeating terrorism, and handling the, the refugee crisis as a result of the, that, or um, education, or, you know, entitlements. We might disagree on what's actually best for people, Right? We might disagree on what's best for people, but we have to agree that what's best for people is what's best. When you read the Gospels, it's so, that's so incredibly clear. God so loved the, the world, not the planet, but the people. God so loved the world that he sent his son to pay the ultimate price for them. And as much as Peter completely disagreed with how Jesus was doing it, that he was going to have to lay down his life, Jesus knew that that was what was best for people. And then all through the Gospels, you'll see that the one thing that absolutely drove Jesus crazy is when religious people would use religious law to hurt people. And he's like, no, you've got it all backwards. The law was created for people, not people for the law, Right? And so one day, the religious leaders, the experts in the law, show up and they ask him, what's the most important law, what's the most important commandment in the law? And Jesus said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Now, there's a lot of wiggle room in that commandment, isn't there? Right? If that was just all Jesus said, I mean, if you were to ask any presidential candidate running right now if they love God, what do you think they'd all say? They would all say, yes, absolutely. But their version of loving God might look a lot different than your version of loving God, right? So there's a whole lot of wiggle room. But Jesus didn't stop there. He says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commands. All of a sudden, there's a lot less wiggle room, right? I mean, he, why didn't he just stop with, with, you know, love for God because I could do that internally and then treat people the way I wanted to, right? In fact, I could love God and, and treat my neighbor the way my neighbor treats me, kind of tit for tat. But Jesus is like, no, 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 no. The most important command is to love God with all your heart, all your soul, 
and on your mind and of equal importance. Love your neighbor as yourself. And to be perfectly honest, there's still a little bit of wiggle room even there, right? Because um, a, a lot of us have things we absolutely hate about ourselves. And have you ever noticed that you are much more judgmental and critical of people in the areas that you hate about yourself? So again, there's a little bit of wiggle room there. But again, remember the context. He's speaking to experts of the law, answering a question about the law, right? So later, when Jesus is speaking to his disciples, his followers, what does he say to them? He says, a new command I give you, to love one another as I have loved you. There's all the wiggle room is gone, right? I mean, there's no more wiggle room. There's no room for interpretation. The most important thing for Jesus is for us to love people the way he loved us. So when we drill down to the foundation of our faith, when we're talking about putting faith before politics, the most important thing about our faith is loving people. And you demonstrate your love for God by loving the people he created. And the Apostle John makes this perfectly clear in his, his first letter to the churches. And I love the way the message translation uh, renders this verse. 1 John 4, verse 20. If anyone boasts, I love God, and goes right on hating his brother or sister, thinking nothing of it, he is a liar. If he won't love the person he can see, how can he love the God he can't see? The command we have from Christ is blunt. God or Loving God includes loving people. You've got to love both. This is the foundation of our faith. And it's so simple. I mean, if you never remember anything else you've ever read in the Bible, this is the most important thing, that you demonstrate your love for God by loving the people he created. The way you treat people that that God made in his image is a reflection of your love for God. So if you want to keep faith before politics, you love people more than you love your politics. Now, that's profoundly simple, isn't it? Imagine what would happen if every person in our country who said they love God actually did that. Imagine what our country would be like, right? It would be completely different. different. It would be completely transformed. I mean, the, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't do away with the laws, but the, the laws would almost be irrelevant because they would never be tested if everybody loved each other, Right? It, it almost wouldn't matter who became president because they would also be loving people above their politics. Our nation would be so powerfully impacted because Jesus was right. Everything hinges on loving God on the inside and demonstrating that on the outside by loving the people he created. So simple. 
Yeah, so difficult to actually do, isn't it? Now let me give you one more thing to think about, and then we'll sort of wrap up by talking about some practical ways how we can actually do this. Um, your behavior makes perfect sense to you, right? The things you do and how you do them, your behavior makes perfect sense to you, right? Um, like if someone asked, why did you do that? You wouldn't be like, hmm, you know, I, I don't know. No, you would have an answer, right? Um, your behavior makes perfect sense to you, which is true for everyone, right? Everyone's behavior makes perfect sense to them. It might not make any sense to you, but it makes perfect sense to them. An example in our house is the way Vicky and I load the dishwasher. I mean, I do it wrong every single time. But she does it <laughs> but, but when I see her do it, she's doing it wrong every single time, right? And, and you know, I'm thinking about things like water tra- trajectory and getting everywhere. I don't know what she's thinking about, but, but somehow the dishes end up coming clean all the time. So. so your behavior makes perfect sense to you. Everyone's behavior makes perfect sense to them. In the same way, your political views make perfect sense to you. Like if someone asked, why did you vote that way? Or why do you support that? You wouldn't say, hmm, I have no idea. No, you would have answers for those questions, right? Likewise, everyone's political views makes perfect sense to him or her. It might not make sense to you, but it makes perfect sense to them. And honestly, yeah, I'm not even going to go there. Let's back up. <laughs> Here's my point, okay? When you don't know how someone could do such a thing or believe such a thing or support such a view, it's because there's something that you don't know. Like when you run into someone who holds a view that you don't know how they could possibly hold that view, it's because there's something that you don't know. So one of the best things that we can do to value people above your politics is be a student, not a critic. See, if you're a student and not a critic, You're going to learn something, right? And if you don't think that you need to learn anything, just call it like it is, you're arrogant, right? Or insecure, or both. Listen, this is the season that we should be learning. James put it this way. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, And slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. I don't know about you, but that feels a little convicting. Listen, Jesus followers should be the most confident, curious, 
composed, compassionate people in the room all the time. No matter what room you're in, you should be the most confident, curious, composed, and compassionate person there. We should be the most confident and not arrogant and not insecure because if you believe you know, your eternity is secure, you should be confident, right? If you believe there's an eternal home waiting for you, you should have absolute confidence. If you believe you're a son or daughter of God who his kingdom is one day going to reign, we should emanate confidence, not arrogance, confidence. We should be the most curious, Listen, Christians should be the learners above all learners because our God is a God of infinite wisdom. And when does infinite wisdom run out? Never. It never runs out, right? I mean, we should never, ever be threatened by science, right? We should, I mean, every time scientists discover something new about the universe, our response should be, oh, wow, that's how God did it. Or, wow, that's how he created it to work, right? Additionally, if we really love people, we should value them enough to be willing to learn why they believe and support what they do. We should be the most confident, we should be the most curious, and the most composed, because we remember how we used to be, right? We remember what we used to believe. Right? We remember what, at one point, we didn't know. So we should be the most composed. And finally, we should be the most compassionate. Because compassion is simply a product of God's love in us. This doesn't mean we don't have an opinion. This doesn't mean we don't have a view. It doesn't mean we don't believe in them passionately. But we can't forget that those are all secondary to the people God called us to love unconditionally. So to make this practical, I want to just sort of give you four questions that you can ask when you find yourself in a conversation and you sense your blood starting to boil or you're tempted to just walk away and mumble those idiots, right? Um, these are four questions that you can like just sort of keep you engaged. Uh, you might even learn something and hopefully set you up for future influence. Um, you might not like all these questions. You don't have to use all these questions. Just, just some helpful stuff. So um, the first one is this. Have you always held that view? That's a good question because it opens the door for them to think about how they arrived at that view, right? Um, The next question is a follow-up to that question, which is, what led you to hold that view? This is a question from a learner, right? This is someone who's being a learner, not a critic, that would ask this question. And this is such an important question, because... When you get into a discussion about someone and their political view and they tell you their political view, that is like the bottom line. That's the the final sentence of of what could have been a discussion that's gone on in their head for years, right? But when you ask, 
what led you to hold that view, you've just invited someone to tell their part of their story. And some of you have already discovered this on your own, but when you start to discover a person's story, it is very difficult not to love them. And that's what I absolutely love about pub theology because it gives us an opportunity to to learn about someone's views and opinions about things and and open up the door to just love them because you I mean you just can't help it when you start to learn people's story. And it's with people that you might not have ever had an opportunity to do that with before. What led you to hold that view? Um, the next question is for when you're starting to feel a little snarky. Um, <laughs> and this is when the, quest, the, the discussion moves beyond policy and starts attacking the person, right? Um, you know how you're talking about issues and all of a sudden the discussion moves outside of the issues and policy into something personal about the candidate? I mean, we're Christians, right? And, and the New Testament tells us that we're not to gossip. Do you realize that that applies to political conversations as well? Scripture also talks about how we're not to let any unwholesome talk come out of our mouth, um, but rather what is good for edifying and building people up. So when the conversation moves away from policy to being critical of the person, a great question is, have you met him or her? Have you met him? Have you met her? And then when they say no, you just follow up with, oh, and then shut up. Don't say anything else. It'll be obvious, right? It's like, okay, let's get back, you know, in the guardrails. Let's get back on track and talk about what's important. Um, and then the last question is, depends on how you view it. It's kind of a dig, but you can say it in love. Um, but it sort of levels the playing field, right? Um, and it's this. I get most of my information from the media. How about you? Oh, you too? Well, that means we are both marginally informed and we're both probably wrong, right? Let's <laughs> just be honest, right? Now, I think because of our Constitution, we probably are one of the most informed nations on the planet, right? There are some countries where the media is run by the state and they determine what goes out, right? So we have to be very thankful for our country, right? But there is not a media outlet on the planet that is not biased to some degree and, and spins the information to get you to arrive at a conclusion that they want you to, to arrive at, right? The point is, all you know is what you're told. None of us have all the facts. So for us to allow unnecessary friction around marginal information, that's a big mistake. So those are four questions that you can use to maybe bring the temperature down, find common ground with people. Um, but at the end of the day, what matters most is people. So, should you have an opinion? Yes, absolutely, right? Should you respectfully argue your point? Yes. Do so in love and do it when it's appropriate, right? Um, because other people need to learn as well. Should you make a point 
at the expense of losing influence? No. Absolutely not. Listen, Jesus said that you are the light of the world. We are called to have influence in people's lives so that we can point them to Jesus, so that we can help them get their family back together or put families back together and bring healing in people's lives. And the only way that we can do those things is through the influence that God has given us with them. Never give up influence unnecessarily. Don't give it up with your spouse. Don't give it up with your kids. Don't give it up with extended family. Don't give it up with people at work. Don't give it up with people in your neighborhood. Never give up influence unnecessarily and never give it up over a political issue. It's just not worth it. I mean, in the USA, let me tell you why you should never give up influence over politics. Because in the United States of America, your opinion doesn't count. It's far better than that because your vote counts, right? You can actually go and vote and it counts. So why would you give up influence over something that doesn't even matter? Go cast your vote because your vote does matter. But it's just not worth giving up influence that God has given you with someone over a political issue that isn't even going to matter at the end of the year when it's all said and done. It's just not a hill worth dying on. I mean, how tragic would it be to burn a bridge with someone over an issue that's not even going to matter after the election? And then six months down the road, they have a need. Someone in their family dies. Or maybe they have a question about God. But they're not going to ask you. Because you've lost the influence you had with them over something you thought was such an important issue at the moment, but now it's completely irrelevant. It's just not worth it. Should you jeopardize a relationship? No. Absolutely not. Never jeopardize a relationship, especially over politics. It's just not worth it. So between now and November 8th, we have an opportunity to demonstrate our political diversity in a way that honors God, who has made us so diverse. Let your light shine by valuing people far above your political opinion. I mean, you never know what God is going to do with the influence he's given you, and you might even gain some new influence because of the way you're handling the politics of this election year. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you so much. I thank you for... First of all, the freedom that we have just living in this country. We're blessed, God. We could be in a country where we don't get to vote. 
We don't get to make our vote count. I thank you, God, that we live in a country where we can freely speak about it or write about it. And that we're not arrested because we write some blog or put to death because we speak against the, a leader. I thank you, God, for such, for all that you've given us. We're incredibly blessed. But to whom much is given, much is required. It doesn't mean that we use our freedoms to be destructive. It doesn't mean we use our freedoms to allow division to take place. It doesn't mean we use our freedoms to lose influence with people. Help us, God, to see what's most important. That you never came and supported a political party. You came to establish your kingdom. And our number one responsibility is to support your kingdom, not the earthly kingdoms. doesn't mean we can't be a part. It doesn't mean we can't have a view or opinion. Just help us keep our priorities in order, God. That the people that we interact with are far more important. Help us to love them enough, God, to not allow our view to cause a division between us. And help us to love them enough to be willing to learn how they got to where they are. It just opens the door for more love. We thank you, God, for all these things. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.